Good afternoon and welcome to NFL Friday or whatever time we're getting you at as we move into our digital format podcasting. This is NFL Friday. We are less than a week away from the NFL season. It's September 4th, 2020. NFL Friday and next Thursday we will have football. Thursday night football, Houston at Kansas City. And Nick, we are inching closer to the beginning of the National Football League. And and that feels like a national relief um, for all of us that we are going to watch football beginning next Thursday night and then a full slate of Sunday football with our very own Jets and Giants. And we'll have it all for you here on the podcast. First of all, how are you doing today, Nick? Well, I'm wonderful, and I'm really happy to be able to talk some football as we, as you said, inch closer to the start of the NFL season. And it's got a different feel because there is no preseason this year, and there's been some increased protocols on trying to limit media access and availability. So it's kind of a weird time because you don't have a great understanding of what's really going on inside these camps, the battles between some of the players for certain positions and how things are going to shake out on certain teams, but certainly excited to inch closer to actual football. And, you know, it's, it's a distraction that we, we desperately need. And that couldn't be more well said. And that's been the idea behind sports Um, for our purposes at WFUV, coming in at just the right time when uh, I didn't know how much longer we could go without them, but they are back. And the NFL of course is the biggest of them all. And we'll start with some recent NFL news as we usually do on the podcast. And when we move into the season, we'll be able to break down Thursday night football at before our show goes out on Friday. But of course we haven't yet played any football. That's part of the, Part of the reason is because there's no preseason this year, which is another one of the many things that will make this year unique. But today we come to you with Leonard Fournette joining the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Cam Newton as the starting quarterback of the New England Patriots. I never thought I would have said those words, but Cam Newton has been named as the starter in uh, New England after Tom Brady leaves for Tampa Bay. So two teams, I think, that present – very interesting storylines, Nick, in a Patriots team that loses its legend, um, replaces him with a former MVP in Cam Newton and certainly a talent in his own right, but a guy who has dealt with injuries and, and struggles uh, since he's last been to the Super Bowl. And then on the flip side of that, you have the Buccaneers who acquired that legendary quarterback in Tom Brady, and now they have Leonard Fournette to go join him. Yeah, it should be really interesting to see how both of those moves happen. And I'll start with Cam Newton getting the starting job in New England. And I think it's something that we really expected because if the Patriots were really sold on Jarrett Stidham, they don't sign Cam Newton. If they thought that they have a quality option in-house, that's not a move that they are scrambling to make in taking a chance on Cam Newton coming off of injury, seeing how healthy is, seeing how healthy he is, and then uh, just sort of seeing how it plays out. So I think it was something that we were all seeing and, and figured would happen, but time will tell how that move and, and how he looks will, will turn out because I, for one, have said when he signed back in New England in, in July that it's going to be really difficult for him because you talk about the shortened off season. You have no preseason games, and he's sort of being thrown into the fire 
and trying to figure out how to work with the receivers that he's going to have to work with. And yes, the practice reps are great, but that's not game time with live bullets flying. And he's going to have to understand the playbook, learn the playbook and get that in the context context of reading other defenses and trying to figure out how all those things will transpire as well. So it's a lot of learning in a really short period of time. And I'm interested to see how he adjusts. And the biggest thing for me is how healthy he is, because I think that that is going to be really the key to this whole equation. And I'm not hundred percent confident that he is healthy because when we saw him play last year, he just really did not look good. And I, and I know that he missed the, the rest of that season. He played two games last year. So he sat out the last 14, but it wasn't really even his foot that was the concern because that was what he said the injury was. But his shoulder and the way he was throwing the football just did not look the same way that it had previously. And that's something that's very concerning because Cam Newton has never been the most accurate quarterback ever. Uh, You know, it's not been his bread and butter. It's been about the arm strength and using that to hit receivers. And you don't have to throw into as tight of windows when you have the stronger arm. It's one of the benefits. And if he loses that, it's going to be really difficult for him to transition. I think it is pretty similar to maybe a starting pitcher in baseball who used to throw 96, 97. And then as he, as he progresses throughout his career, uh, ends up throwing 90, 91. You have to just understand how to pitch differently because you can't go and reach back for 97 98 miles an hour to get hitters out I think it'll be sort of a similar situation with Cam Newton where he's going to have to find a way to be more accurate and if he does great for him congratulations that's going to be something that is he'll be one of one of few quarterbacks to be able to make that transition so I think the skepticism is healthy and and I think should exist there and we'll see, but it'll certainly be interesting to see how his his skill set is utilized by the Patriots and Josh McDaniels because it is a different type of player that is running yeah. their offense than they've had for the last 20 years. Maybe, you know, Tom Brady's the greatest of all time, but he can't move like Cam Newton can. It's amazing to think about the, the different offense that we're going to see in New England. It's, it's actually going to be bizarre to watch the Jets and Patriots this season or the Bills and Patriots this season and see a quarterback that acts like a running back. And that is where Cam Newton draws his strength. The truth is that his arm is a problem. I am not as concerned about his health as you might be, because you're right to say that the foot wasn't an enormous issue. And when he was placed on the IR last season, I'm not exactly sure when that happened, but Ron Rivera made the decision to put him on the IR and and that made way for Kyle Allen to become the starting quarterback the rest of the way. And at the time, Cam Newton was not happy about that. And many weren't. Many thought that Cam was ready to play. So um, it's possible that by now the foot at least is recovered. And I think that's the strength of Cam's game. But in any case, it's going to be fascinating to watch New England Patriot football. And um, we will really get to test the genius of Bill Belichick because I think another factor to this, another thing that we can maybe have it conclusion to and I've always been in the boat that the that Bill Belichick is is the greatest head coach in NFL history is the greatest person ever do that job and and but I also believe that without Tom Brady Bill Belichick is not Bill Belichick I think the same goes for Tom Brady and I'm actually using the words of Tom Brady there I shouldn't take credit for that point that's how Brady frames it and I think he's I think he's right so 
whether or not Bill Belichick can have success to the level that he did with Tom Brady, well, that's probably impossible. He's not going to rip off another six Super Bowls. But if he can be a winner, if he can win the AFC East, then then, then, then that – that puts the Bill Belichick legend on another level. And we'll do a division pick them later. Um, I want to get your thoughts on Tampa Bay. On the flip side, they get Leonard Fournette. They have already got Mike Evans there. They get Gronk. And, of course, Brady's going to center the offense. And they've got a head coach in Bruce Arians, who I really believe in. So, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, how real are they? How big a threat are they to a New Orleans Saints? Well, I think time will tell, and that's – kind of an easy answer, but that's the only way that we can move forward, at least right now. And it's just hard to understand how the pieces are going to fit together. I'm not 100% sure how Leonard Fournette is going to fit in that Buccaneers offense, as odd as it sounds, because Bruce Arians came out today and said, yeah, I think Ronald Jones is still going to be our starting running back. And that was a bit eye-opening, at least to me, because you're sitting there saying, okay, well, they just signed a guy who was a former number four overall pick and was a pretty darn good running back for a good period of time in Jacksonville. And they're going with Ronald Jones as their starter. The one knock, I think, on Leonard Fournette more than anything, maybe there are two. One has been his ability to consistently stay healthy, but the other one has been sort of just his presence in the locker room. And sometimes, That has become a problem, particularly when he hasn't gotten the ball. So what's curious to me is that, okay, if you thought Leonard Fournette was going to be your starting running back, then this move sort of makes sense. But if the problem with Leonard Fournette is that he complains when he doesn't get the football, how are you bringing him in as a second string running back and expecting that sort of problem to go away? And maybe they think that the veteran group that they have with Bruce Arians being a no-nonsense guy and that you know, if Tom Brady's your quarterback, he can sort of make sure that everything runs smoothly or as smoothly as it can. It's just a curious decision. So I will, again, time will tell to see how everything shakes out. And I thought Bruce Arians also said it well when talking about the move that you can never have enough running back depth, which I think is true because particularly without the preseason, I think you're bound without the preseason in a shortened off season, you're bound to get a few injuries. So if that happens to the running back position, then I think Tampa Bay is in a good position to sort of absorb some of that damage. But we'll see. Leonard Fournette, I think, has a lot left in the tank. I think that Jacksonville became a really toxic environment for him and for a number of players with sort of their in-between. I've never been a fan of their head coach, Doug Marone, who I don't think has done a great job in fostering a, a good locker room culture either. So that has been something that is, yeah, well, it's, it's been <laughs> difficult for him to sort of manage some of the personalities and you see the mass exodus from Jacksonville with the players wanting out and just sort right. of the turnover there. It's been such a weird dynamic when you see a team that made the ASC championship game in 2017 and now they have, fewer than 15 players on their roster that remain from that group three years ago. So again, it'll be interesting to see how that sort of transitions as he gets to a team that is more veteran, has more of a locker room presence where people will sit down and have the credibility to sit down and say, Hey, Leonard, be quiet. You know, we, we're trying to work the ball to everybody here. And, you know, I'm Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time. And when I tell you to stop complaining, stop complaining. 
But it just to me, when they say that Ronald Jones remains the starting running back, it, it's a head scratcher. If they were going to start him, which I think he's good enough to start, if you're asking me who I think on paper is better, Ronald Jones or Leonard Fournette, I would tell you Leonard Fournette. And maybe part of it is, too, that he's not going to have a lot of time to learn the playbook. So that's there are a whole number of factors that could lead to that decision. But I think the, the final word on that is curious if he's not going to end up there starting running back. Let's move into the meat of the show. Jets, Giants, two franchises that I look at and, and think question marks. Question marks everywhere, particularly with the Jets, I think. Um, Sam Darnold being a year ahead of Daniel Jones. And those two will, will always be tied to each other. Their progress, their, their triumphs, and their failures will always be tied to each other. But Sam Darnold being a full year ahead of uh, Daniel Jones, I, I think, makes things a lot you know, bigger, makes stakes a lot higher for him um, in this season. So the question mark is enormous when you're looking at quarterback, but then outside of quarterback, and we'll start with the Jets here, there's really nothing, um, nothing to be excited about this New York Jets team. Because if there was one thing, his name was Jamal Adams, and he now plays for the Seattle Seahawks. So the Jets... um, you know, and it has been bad since the year 2011. We're going on uh, now more than 10 years of having the conversation about the pitiful Jets, and this feels like if they could have ever done it, maybe even a new low. I, I don't know that because Sam Darnold is still the quarterback, and there is promise there. He's 23 years of age. So I, I don't want to say that this is the worst that it's been in the last 10 years when you had the likes of Geno Smith and Mark Sanchez coming through. Um, but – it, it is not a, a time that inspires a lot of optimism, Nick. No, it's not, especially when you're trading one of your best players for a pair of first-round draft picks. And, look, I think that they overwhelmingly won that deal. I don't know how right. Seattle makes a trade giving up two first-rounders when Jamal Adams didn't have a ton of leverage and he's, a, at the end of the day, a safety. You don't have a guarantee that he's going to re-sign with you, although now it would – you'd expect that Seattle's going to make him an offer, but you've also kind of given him a blank check because you just attached two first round picks to him. So a whole situation there, but when you're sort of punting toward the future, that's what it feels like. And, and I think that that's what the jets are sort of doing right now. I think this is going to be a rebuild year for them. And, all eyes are going to be on Sam Darnold because if he can sort of pull a rabbit out of his hat and make this Jets team a little bit more competitive than we might have thought, then hats off to him. And I think the Jets are going to be really happy with the selection that they made in 2018 on a young man from USC because this is a roster that is pretty bare, right? They, they've revamped the offensive line, and I think it's better. But I do think there are questions about Makai Becton and – Uh, especially as a rookie. He's a guy who's done very well in the run game. In the past game, it's been a little bit more difficult. And they're revamping the entire offensive line again in a limited offseason where the guys have less time to gel and learn the playbook. And Greg Van Ruten was a guy who was a fringe starter. Some teams looking at him for depth. He's probably going to start at guard for them. George Fant is another guy at tackle played for Seattle for a number of years and was never a guy who you sat there and said, wow, he's, he's a guy who's really a stalwart on your offensive line. So they have some questions and the offensive line was really the big issue last year. And hopefully for the jets, it'll get better. But, but again, we'll have to see how that goes. 
But to me, they just don't have any weapons. And, and we can talk, talk about the defense later that, that's going to really suffer without C.J. Mosley for another year. He opted out. And we saw what effect that had on them last year, even in the first game that they played against the Bills and the way things drastically changed when he came out. And they really weren't the same team in that game and then moving forward. But I don't know where any wide receiver production is going to come from them. I think that Denzel Mims may grow into a player who is worthwhile or or worth keeping and a guy that you like. Um, He's got the physical tools to do it, certainly, but wide receivers don't generally come on in year one. Outside of that, there's really not much. And there's also some injury concerns. And then you're talking about Le'Veon Bell and the running back group that has been underwhelming as of last year. And you're adding Frank Gore, who I don't think that anyone's sitting there holding out hope for to be some game changer for them in the backfield. So there's just not a lot around Sam Darnold. And I will be really impressed if he can make something out of this season. But it does appear like you're headed for another sort of ho-hum lost year for the Jets. Because when you just look up and down their roster, there are so many holes. And they just don't have enough around Darnold, a young quarterback, as good as he might be. I don't think anybody's making the argument that he is a top-level guy the way that Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers can drag teams that aren't very good to the playoffs or to any sort of success. I don't think anyone's making that case. And hopefully he can get a better handle of the offense with Adam Gase in year two. But it's just a weird dynamic because I think they're headed in the right direction with Joe Douglas at the helm. I think they're making the right moves. The problem is, is that their window in the rookie contract that Sam Darnold is running out. And there's also a legitimate argument to be made that they have the wrong head coach in place. So now you might be talking about the third head coach that Darnold has had in his young career and trying to progress as Sam Darnold is going to have to get paid a lot of money if they want to keep him. So really not an ideal situation for the Jets and hopefully for them and their fans, they can make something out of it that is not something that we foresee, but I think that'll be difficult with the lack of weapons that they have on offense. And they don't have too many game changers on defense either. The one they did have, they traded away. And that's where I want to take it because you mentioned punting down the road. Yeah. They they did punt down the road when they traded Jamal Adams, uh, the number three overall pick out of LSU, you know, they, they, they punted it right down the road, but this is what they always do. This is, they punt down the road. Why? because they have new management walking in the door every two or three years. It's a cyclical process and new management walks through the door. And what do they want to do? They want to build their own system. They want to build their own franchise. And so Joe Douglas inherited Jamal Adams. He doesn't have the connection to Jamal Adams. And the same could go for a Sam Darnold who he also inherited but he knows he's got to build around a quarterback and comparing a quarterback to a safety um, is probably a crazy thing. And the fact that the Jets got two first first rounders off of Jamal Adams actually probably makes it a good deal. So I'm not complaining about the deal. I'm complaining, complaining, excuse me, about the systemic dysfunction of the franchise. And what that means is that you have no consistency. If, if they can't get a general manager and or head coach decision, right in the last decade, I don't know what to tell them. I mean, that's all you got to do if you're the ownership. Get those two calls right and let them do the work. Because if you get those two calls right, it's top down. 
and, and you'll be fine. But no one is optimistic about Adam Gase. I mean, he is the worst communicator that I have ever seen behind uh, the lectern, post-game, pre-game, Thursday night, whatever it is. He just he, he just doesn't look like he wants to be there. And the locker room hears that, and 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 he can't he can't hype up Le'Veon Bell. He can't he can't get behind his own guys. Jamal Adams got a rift with him. So, as far as I'm concerned, I, I've got no hope in Adam Gase. I'm just I'm just going along with the ride here. So you know, the Jets there they've got a head coaching problem. They've got a head coaching problem, and I've said those words every year for the last ten years. I think I I can't remember a year I didn't say that. I mean, in, unless you go back to the Rex Ryan years and only the early part of them. Um, so, so this is the problem. It's underlying. And, and, and I feel like a broken record on, on the uh, FUV programming because if you look back at my archives, you'll see me saying it um, time and time again. I'm getting tired. I'm getting tired. Let's go to the Giants. Um, they got a head coach. And right now it's not a problem because he hasn't coached a, 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 an NFL game at the head coaching level yet. So you can have that, um, that bit of hope, that bit of naivete, if you will, because you haven't seen him yet. And there's something in him that, that does bring a little bit of hope. And that's that he has uh, been groomed by Bill Belichick and Nick Saban, two of the best uh, to ever do it in the, in the world. So I think Joe judge is a guy um, that brings maybe more optimism to a giants team than there should be. Cause if you look at the giants team and you look at it up to down, it's not that good. It's not a very good team. So Joe judge is in the house and I'm wondering Nick, if we should tamper expectations because I don't know if some folks in the media expect the Giants to win eight games. I don't think that's going to happen. It'll be difficult for them. The one thing they do have going for them is that they're in a weaker division. The NFC East, I don't think, is one that you're going to sit there and say, wow, this is really going to be impossible to navigate. Regardless of what you think about the Cowboys or the Eagles, I don't think that they're unbeatable. The Giants very nearly took down the Eagles last year with Eli Manning on Monday Night Football. So, you know, that they can win some games in the division, and I think that's where you have to make your hay in the NFL. The Giants are an interesting conversation because you have to really wonder how good Daniel Jones is because I thought his rookie year was sensational. Right after all the talk about how he was a bust and how the Giants reached for him and he wasn't very good at Duke and blah, 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 blah. He, he was really good for them last year. And, and I thought Dave Gettleman actually, for as much as I'm kind of rip on him and, and he makes me laugh a little bit, had a really good thought the other day when he was talking to the media and saying that Daniel Jones did some things that rookie quarterbacks have never done. And yet the focus seemed to always be on his fumbles. And yeah, the fumbles are, are not good. You don't want your quarterback to fumble. You need ball security. But if the worst thing that your rookie quarterback is doing is fumble, man, oh, man, do you think you have a good rookie quarterback? Because he's not even making bad decisions like he's thrown an interception. He's just – ball security is something you can teach. So I'm not worried a ton about that. And, and we'll see how he grows in year two. Again, the one difficulty for him is that he will be going in learning a new offense with Jason Garrett who has not been a coordinator of an offense in over 10 years. So you're talking about a guy who has certainly been a head coach and 
you can think about him what you want as a head coach, but being an offensive coordinator is certainly different. And he hasn't been down necessarily in the nitty gritty of calling plays for a significant period of time. And whether you're confident or not in him doing that, I don't know. I think Pat Shermer, as much of a failure of a head coach as he was, was a guy who was really good at working with young quarterbacks. That's what got him the Giants job in the first place with the work that he did over in Minnesota with Case Keenum. So it's going to be all about Daniel Jones year two. Uh, NFL people always talk about the big leap, and we'll see if Daniel Jones can make that. But I think that there is a little bit more optimism for the Giants this year because if Daniel Jones can take that big leap, I think they can contend for a playoff spot. I mean, I think that this roster is that good, particularly on offense with Saquon Barkley. I think the offensive line is a question, and hopefully they can protect him a little bit better. They did go to Andrew Thomas in the draft at number four overall out of Georgia. So, again, for the Giants, you're hoping that he could come in and make an impact early. Nate Solder, of course, who the much maligned Nate Solder, will not be playing because he he opted out of the season. But if they can – play the way they did offensively last year. The offense wasn't the problem. It's really about that defense. And they have made some moves to address that. They signed James Bradbury over from Carolina. They just recently add on Logan Ryan. So the the defensive backfield, the secondary in particular, is something that they need to improve. And if their defense can become a little bit better, I think that they have a shot to certainly win eight games. I think eight games is really the right mark, the over-under for them. But I would peg them around – Eight and eight, seven and nine, nine and seven, that range. All right. You got a little more hope in them than I do. Um, but I could see just because of the, the weakness of the division, I think, I think that's probably where the argument is strongest. And let's talk about divisions uh, as we move into the, the last five or so minutes um, of our conversation. Let's run a pick them. We'll go NFC, then we'll go AFC, and we'll go east uh, to west, north to south. And I wish I had uh, the music from our studio playing under my ear because it would give me a little bit of urgency to make the picks. But let's try to let's try to go with division winner and about a sentence or two about that team, why we're picking them, and we'll try to kind of make this a fast pick them around the clock like we're used to on NFL Friday. Let's start with the NFC East, right where we left off. You got Eagles, Cowboys, Giants, and the Washington football team in last place with three wins last year. I am going to go uh, with the Dallas Cowboys. I think that they've got a ton of talent. I, I like the new head coach in Mike McCarthy, and I'll leave it at that. I'll try to set a good uh, marker for that. I like the Philadelphia Eagles. I think they have the best roster in the division. I think the biggest question for them is whether Carson Wentz will stay healthy or not. Let's assume that he will, and they add Darius Slay, which I think is a big move for their secondary. I like the Eagles to take the NFC East. And let me tack on to my point about the Cowboys. I think the fact that you have Dak Prescott playing for a contract, um, I'm very into them, very big believer in the idea that someone's going to play for his cash. NFC West, you've got Niners, Seahawks, Rams, Cardinals. I think this division will flip between one and two as well. I'm taking the Seattle Seahawks. I think that they are genuinely one of the best teams in football. I, I don't know that I can call them the best team but they absolutely have a claim to it. And I think we talked about Jamal Adams in the open and how he goes out there and it was a hefty price, but I think the Seahawks said, we are going for a championship this year. And that's why they paid such a heavy price. And I think they're that good that they will overtake the 49ers this year. 
I think it's going to be an interesting division to watch. My gut feeling was to go again with San Francisco, and I think I'm going to do that. It's really difficult to come off a Super Bowl run and then have success the next year. It's something that has been in short supply. New England's been great at it, but other than that, it's been a difficult run for teams coming off the Super Bowl runs. But I do like San Francisco. I really am a big believer in Kyle Shanahan and what he's been able to do. Jimmy Garoppolo is a very good quarterback, and that defense is still for real. They, they keep enough on that defense. I think the 49ers take the NFC West. And consider the Rams and Cardinals as a potential as potential players in that division, too, because Kyler Murray enters his second year, and, of course, the Rams are the Rams. And let's go to the NFC North. Packers, Vikings, Bears, Lions, and I'm giving them an order of their finish last year. Packers, Vikings, Bears, Lions. Um, I'm going to double down on Green Bay. I, I think uh, some of their draft picks were really bizarre this year uh, but I think uh, that this is a team led by Aaron Rodgers that will not be beaten by a Vikings team led by a Kirk Cousins who I really don't believe in. I'm going to agree with you there because I think the Packers have the most consistency right the Vikings have had some turnover particularly with some of their wide receivers the Bears I don't think are going to, going to get enough consistency out of the quarterback position is it going to be Foles is it going to be Trubisky? The Lions are still a mess. I like the Packers. Old, reliable Aaron Rodgers. Let's go to the South. Saints, Falcons, Bucks, Panthers. This one's interesting because your third-place team is all of a sudden a serious player, almost definitely the second or best team in this division. But I am going to stick with New Orleans. I think this is the last year that we'll see Drew Brees in a Saints uniform, and I would like to believe and am going to believe that he will go out with a bang in New Orleans and take this team to a division title. I just don't know that the Bucks will get everything together. I think uh, there's something to be said about Tom Brady's decline, which we have been seeing uh, steadily over the last many years. And you saw it kind of culminate in a wild card loss in the playoffs last year. And I think that was legit. And I think uh, the Saints are going to win the division. I think I'm going to agree with you there, too, because as we have mentioned at points during this show, the continuity is going to rule the day in the NFL this year because of a shortened offseason. It's going to be difficult for teams that are newer to come together and understand exactly how things are going to go. New Orleans has been there. Sean Payton and Drew Brees have been there, done that for a long time. I really like Tampa Bay's roster, but I think there are questions, as you say, about Tom Brady and how good he really is going to be. He'll certainly have more weapons, but that defense is a question mark for Tampa Bay as well. So I think New Orleans is the best team in that division. I think they'll win it. I would expect Tampa Bay to get in as a wild card, though. Let's switch conferences. AFC, AFC East, New England, Buffalo, New York, Miami in that order was how they finished last year. And this is uh, the interesting one. We have your Bills and my Jets. And like I said, I'm not a believer in my Jets. But I am not really a believer in your Bills. I mean, of course, I think they're the second best team in the division. And they'll come in a firm second place. But I am taking the New England Patriots. I am doubling down on Bill Belichick. And I think Cam Newton uh, could very well be an upgrade over Tom Brady. Uh, I think we're both skeptics of of Tom Brady for the legend that he is. We, of course, acknowledge that, and I believe he's the greatest to ever do his job. But I think Cam Newton comes in there, injects a little bit more youth, and I think the Patriots will take that division. Well, I think if you're picking the Patriots, you have a ton of confidence in Bill Belichick, and he has certainly uh, earned that, gotten that, earned that and, and built up that credit over the years. 
But the Bills have the best roster in the AFC East, and I don't know that it's particularly close, right? That defense is better, particularly with the opt-outs that the Patriots have undergone. They've had a bunch of players on the defensive side who have said, no, we're not going to play this year. So the Bills have the best defense in the division. I think they have the best weapons on offense in the division, too, now with the addition of Stephon Diggs. John Brown was a guy who was a borderline number one, but I thought played really well in spots. He's going to be very big for them coming into this year. And I got to tell you, from what I've seen, I think Josh Allen looks like he's going to take another step. So we'll, we'll see how it goes, but I'm picking the Bills. AFC West, Chiefs, Broncos, Raiders, Chargers. This was not a particularly strong division. The Chiefs blew out of the water, and I have to tell you, uh, I, I hate being, uh, I hate going with the obvious, but this is the obvious. It's the obvious to find. Kansas City's going to win this division again. Yeah, you can't pick against Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes has now made all, all the money in the world in addition to being the best player in the world, but there, there's no stopping this team that has brought a bunch of it back. I mean, the continuity from a Super Bowl champion standpoint is really unmatched almost ever. I mean, this is the most you've seen a team bring back into the year, uh, into the following year after they win a Super Bowl. It's been really well managed by Andy Reid and, and Brett Veach over there. So there's no reason to pick anything else other than Kansas City. AFC North, Ravens were the AFC champions with 14 wins last year. They are pretty solidly at the top of that division. Then you've got the Steelers, who have had quarterback problems. Browns, Bengals, who add Joe Burrow, the first overall pick in the Phenom. And I think this division will definitely mix up. I think the Browns and the Bengals, they will improve. I think the Steelers may decline, but I do think the Ravens will hold on at top. I do, too, because I think Lamar Jackson is going to improve this year as well, as odd as that sounds, uh, particularly from the, the playoffs, which has been the biggest criticism for him in his young career, which I think is a good place to be when they don't have anything bad to say about you during the regular season. It's just how you play in the playoffs as a second-year quarterback. So he was outstanding last year, but I think that their team is just really good. and. The one question for me is going to be their offensive line, which I think was was outstanding last year. I mean, that was one of the things. If you had a criticism of Lamar Jackson, it might have been, well, his job's been made pretty easy because his offensive line has been so good. That's how good Baltimore's O-line was. So they lose Marshall Yonda, who's going to be a surefire Hall of Famer, and we'll see how they replace him. But defensively, the Ravens were so good. They'll still have Marlon Humphrey, still have Marcus Peters. That, that's a team that's going to win the division. AFC South, Texans, Titans, Colts, Jaguars. This one is a little bit interesting because I, I don't necessarily believe that the Texans are so dominant. I think they absolutely can be toppled, but I don't see any of these three teams doing it. If I were to pick one, I think maybe Indianapolis with Jacoby Brissett. Don't think the Titans are for real, but give me the Texans. I think they'll hold on to this uh, in the AFC South, Nick. I'll go with the dark horse here, and I'll go with the Colts because I think that Phillip Rivers still does have a little football left in him, and I think, again, this is a team that just, when you look up and down at the rosters, they're, they're toward the top. Uh, Deshaun Watson has had to make a couple of superhuman efforts to continue to get Bill O'Brien in the way that he uh, head-scratchingly constructs his roster into the playoffs, and I don't know that he'll be able to do that yet again. Um, the Colts are really well coached with Frank Reich, and you have to have confidence in that. Phillip Rivers is going to be hopefully a little bit smarter with the football in his transition to Indianapolis. 
And that defense is really good for Indy with, with Darius Leonard, and they add to Forrest Buckner as well. I like the take. I think the Texans are vulnerable. I do think they'll find a way to hold on to it. But those are our picks. We've got them on the record before the NFL season begins. And, again, that begins in less than a week. Next Thursday, it will be Thursday Night Football. You'll have Houston and the defending champion, Kansas City Chiefs, on your television screen. NFL football coming back to you, and we could not be more excited on Sunday. The Jets and the Bills will play. And then on Monday Night Football, the Giants will host the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, so football's coming back, and we can't wait to bring it all to you. For Nick DeLuca, I'm Chris Baccia. This is NFL Friday, and this is a production of WFUV Sports.